Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 945 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Well, morning. Welcome to College Life. We're so glad to be with you this morning and just again want to praise God that he's given us this space to come together and learn about him and worship him and grow in community. Um, And we're just so glad to be here with y'all this morning. Um, If you don't know us, I'm Chris. This is my wife, Shanae. She's the college women's and outreach director here. And I don't work here, but it feels like I do. I'm here a lot. (laughs) So... We are kicking off a three-week series, and Kevin's asked that we start it, and um, the series title is like Our Identity. What is our identity? And next week, Mike Beckham is going to talk about our identity as God's stewards, and then Kevin's going to talk about um, our identity and challenge us as we live out our identity as God's ambassadors. So this morning, we're going to be talking to you all about our identity as God's temple. Um, And if you look on your table, we have a lot of information to kind of fly through to, to hopefully help us digest it. There's a chart and like a little fill in the blank paper if you guys want to scan over those as we go. Kind of the thesis for our, more, our talk this morning regarding our identity is that we underestimate what it means to be God's temple. Um, and instead, we ought to realize our God-given identity um, and actively live out this call to holiness. So um, Shanae is going to walk us through kind of the history of God's presence leading up to now, and then we'll discuss. And then in the second half, I'm going to talk with us about kind of how we live that out. Yeah, so it's a really exciting topic because the God of the universe has historically chosen to dwell among his creation, dwell among his people. And we see that through a progression of what we call temples or dwelling places. And so throughout scripture, we see him first dwelling in Genesis completely over the whole earth and walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. Then um, they hide from God in their disobedience and their pride and their sin. And then Moses in Exodus gets this... um, this revelation from God to set up a sanctuary or a temple called the tabernacle. We'll talk more about that. Um, And then he commissions King Solomon to create a temple um, and build a temple for his dwelling place. Then we see God perfectly dwell in the person of Jesus on earth. Then the church which is you and I um, if we are believers in Jesus Christ. And then in the future we'll see God dwelling completely and physically on the earth again in the thousand year reign, the new heaven and the new earth. So we're going to talk about kind of the three ways that he has dwelled, him dwelling in Jesus and us, and then in the future, God dwelling. So over the whole earth in Genesis, we see in chapter one that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But then this closeness is broken in Genesis 3. It says, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then next we see God dwelling in the tabernacle. So after God rescues the Jews from slavery in Egypt, he makes a promise to Moses to bless the nation of Israel 
if they are obedient. So this is called the old covenant or the old promise. I will bless you if you keep my commandments. Um, but the problem is, is Israel is never obedient. They never uphold their end of the bargain. Um, and so God, in his mercy, sets up a way for them to place their disobedience on animals sacrificed by priests. And all of this happens in the tent or the tabernacle um, in order to make them innocent before God so that he can continue to bless them, so that he can continue to dwell in their midst. So he gives Moses very specific instructions, um, about 10 chapters worth in the Bible to build this tent. And we read in Exodus 24 that the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So we're going to pause and look at the tabernacle just for a minute. There's a lot of good content here, hence why we created that chart, um, because we're not going to dive into all of the ways the tabernacle points to the future way of God dwelling with people. Um, but we see kind of an explanation in Hebrews 7 through 10 of how Jesus fulfills what these old dwelling places represented. So we see a contrast in the old system and a contrast with the new promises um, and how God dwells within believers now. So we really believe that understanding this will help us understand just how radical it is to have God's spirit in us compared to how the Israelites would have understood this. So Hebrews 9, 11 through 15, if you wanna turn with me there towards the back of the book. This is a good one. This whole section is so powerful and really helps us understand the fulfillment of the old covenant. So chapter nine, verse 11, it says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, these sacrifices would only sanctify for a few hours or a few days until that sin was repeated. Verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is a mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. We see who Jesus is in this passage. We see Jesus as the high priest who entered through the greater and more perfect tent. So what does that even mean, being a high priest? Well, these priests would do these ceremonial washings and offer sacrifices um, in order to atone for the people's sins on, the, on behalf of the Israelites. Um, and so Jesus is perfect. He doesn't just enter in the tabernacle, but he enters in the holy places and mediates between God and men. And we have to remember in all of this that disobedience leads to death. Disobedience of God leads to death, but in God's mercy, 
He makes a way then and now for his people to receive blessing and for him to dwell with his people despite their constant rebellion. And so the way that he would do this in uh, with the Israelites was they would place their sin on an animal um, and that animal would die in their place. But we know we have a greater, we have a greater sacrifice and this is so merciful. And so not only is Jesus our high priest who makes the sacrifices, but he actually lays himself down and is our perfect sacrifice. And it's not something that has to happen continually, but once and for all, by the means of his own blood, he secures for us an eternal redemption. Faith in him and his blood to do this is what saves us. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing truth. And so he, in all of this, is the mediator of a new covenant. And this new covenant comes with a new promise that we have full access to God. And Chris will talk more about that later. But moving on to how God dwells in the temple, we see in 1 Kings chapter 8 that David wanted to build God a temple, but there was too much blood on his hands. Um, and so we have to wait until King Solomon for God to commission and give all of these plans for um, his temple, which is really just the same plan at, as the tabernacle with the altars and the washing bins and then the holy place and the most holy place, but built permanently. It says, and when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord or the temple so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. So it's important to note here that God has always dwelled in heaven and is omniscient over the whole earth. He rules over the whole earth, but we have these unique moments and these unique methods where God dwells and manifests his presence to his people. And that's what we're talking about today in the temples and his dwelling places. And so really the main difference between the tabernacle and the temple was an addition of these courtyards that invited even more people into these holy places. So there was a courtyard for Israelites that weren't priests, for women, and even for foreigners and non-Jewish people. And so the two things we see that foreshadow our role as God's temple is that they were, the, the, the temple was a place to worship and repent so people would actually have to go to a place to worship God, to repent, to make um, atonement for their sins. Whereas now, God's spirit within us, we worship God, we repent wherever we are internally, which is such a beautiful difference. And then secondly, they were um, a witness to foreigners. They were a witness to the nations, like we talked about in our previous series, God's plan for the nations. And we, we saw then that we are called to similarly be witnesses to those around us and to non-believers and to the nations. So next, we see God dwelling among his people physically in the person of Jesus. So in Luke 4, we see a picture of Jesus being baptized, then immediately after being led into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And so it says in Luke 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. 
fast forward to verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, which this is just the coolest scene. Honestly, this is one of my favorites in all of the Gospels, where Jesus is teaching in the synagogues, and then someone hands him the scroll of Isaiah, which is from the Old Testament, prophesying this coming Messiah. And he, he pulls it out, he finds a place where it was written, and it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then all of the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he proceeds to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So this is a wild claim that Jesus is saying, God is dwelling in me. I am fully God. I am fully man. And I have fulfilled this scripture. I am God dwelling with his people. And John clarifies this for us in John 1.14. It says, and the word, which the word becoming flesh is Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And what's interesting about this verse, you may not have realized, um, unless you're a Greek scholar, um, that the word dwelt is actually the same word for tabernacled. So Jesus, taber God tabernacled in Jesus. So interesting. So then, um, at the end of Jesus' life, he says, wait, um, or after he rises from the dead, he tells his followers, wait for the power to come upon you um, in Jerusalem so that you can be my witnesses. And we see the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, um, that all of the believers, the local church at this time, the meager amount of Christ followers, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this is wild because the local church um, in Jerusalem was filled in this moment, but then every moment since, when we come to faith in Christ, we are immediately indwelled with God's Spirit. And we see the reality of that. Um, Paul describes for us in 1 Corinthians 6, which we'll talk about in 2 Corinthians 6, um, where he says, even referencing the Old Testament, for we are the temple of the living God. We, you and I, are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is, this is wild. And then lastly, taking a glimpse at the future real quick, um, we know, based on Revelation 21, that in the thousand-year reign, in the new heaven and the new earth, God will dwell physically and completely over the earth again. Physically and completely. Um, it says, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So that's, that's the future. But I'm sure you're thinking, wow, there is so many implications of this, Shanae. Wow, this is just a wild idea of being God's temple, God dwelling within me. This, is, this can change everything. We are going to talk about um, what happens when you truly understand this as our, our identity after some discussion. So hopefully 
you guys are seeing as we talk through our identity as God's temple, that we're, we're saying we're God's temple, and scripture says we're God's temple because his spirit lives in us. And so we kind of looked at this history of where God's spirit has dwelled. You know, it hovered over the face of the earth and, and communicated and communed with Adam and Eve in the garden. But then after the fall, man was kicked from the garden due to God's holiness. And since then, in the, in the tabernacle and in the temple, we had this interaction with God via inter, uh, you know, offering sacrifices through the priest to cleanse us of our sins before God. But then praise the Lord when Jesus came. He was that perfect sacrifice. So now no longer do we need to go to a tabernacle or a temple and offer sacrifices to become right with God. Jesus has offered that for us once and for all. And because of that, we also no longer have a great high priest. He's our great high priest. We do have a great high priest. It's Jesus who's our great high priest. We no longer have man priests of men because he's mediating at the right hand of the Father for us. And so this is great news. And after Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent his spirit and that spirit living within us is why we're, we're saying that we are God's temple. And so this has huge applications um, for how we view ourselves, how we live our lives. Uh, it really changes everything when we view our identity as God's temple. So we have three points kind of for, you know, how do we apply this? How do we live this out? We see that we can draw near to God and realize that God dwells in us. We need to be holy as God is holy, and we ought to keep in step with the spirit that we have within us. So let's look at this first point. We can draw near to God. Hebrews 10, 9 through 22 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If you remember Sinead's description of the tabernacle and the temple, there was this holy of holies that nobody could go into except the high priest once a year. And if anyone else dared enter the holy place where God's presence was, they would die. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament of the Ark of the Covenant starts to tip and in, with good intentions, a man reaches out and touches the Ark and he dies. This is, the, this is how holy God is and how sinful man is and unable to be in God's holy presence. And so if we had, you know, an accurate view of our status prior to Christ's sacrifice, then the holiness of God should terrify us. We, our, our response would be Adam and Eve's in the garden. We would run and hide because that's how holy God is and how sinful we are. Um, but praise God, because of what Christ has done, that's not how we view God. Instead, it's quite the opposite. Instead of fearing his holiness, we're told here we can draw near to God. That's an unbelievable access to the powerful God of the universe that is unfathomable that we can just approach him. And, and this is great news, and it's all thanks to God's mercy. And we see this kind of illustrated um, when on the day of Christ's death, as he says, it is finished. That veil that, that separated the, the holy places to keep people out was split in half um, and torn, as Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. So where before we should have feared and avoid entering God's presence due to our sinfulness, we now have confidence entering the holy places because our perfect high priest, Jesus, made the perfect sacrifice on our behalf, um, and we can now draw near to the God of the universe, which is unbelievable. And this drawing near couldn't be more literal to us believers because we know that we actually have God's spirit in us. It, it, it doesn't get any closer than that. In 2 Corinthians 6.16 and in 1 Corinthians 6, we see we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then in 1 Corinthians, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? 
It's an unbelievable truth that the same God who created the universe, died for you and I, holds everything in his hand, not only allows us to draw near, but sends his spirit to live within us. Um, and so that's why we're saying we're the, we're the temple of God. And so that's kind of our first application point is that with confidence and full assurance, we can actually draw near to and have a relationship with God. The second point we see is that because of this truth, because we have God and we can draw near to God and we have his spirit, we need to live holy lives. We should be holy as God is holy. Second Corinthians 6, 14 through 7, 1 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will, welc- then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty." Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So what is holiness? It's this idea of being set apart for a special use, dedicated and consecrated to God. We're not saying you need to avoid anyone who's not a believer. Don't communicate. Don't, don't live life alongside of unbelievers or sinners. In fact, Jesus did quite the opposite. He ate with and ministered to sinners. Instead, what we're saying is that in action and in deed, we're called to be different. We're called to be consecrated to the Lord. We should look different from the world around us, and we should live um, holy lives. You know, we, we kind of have this idea of God's temple being this holy, consecrated place. You know, when we come to church on Sunday mornings, regardless of if you're a believer, an unbeliever, where your walk with the Lord is, we know, okay, this is kind of a holy space. We're supposed to dress modestly. I'm going to not cuss while I'm here. You know, like this is, this is a different space. Well, it's not, this isn't God's temple. We're God's temple. So how much more so should we treat, you know, how we live and act holy just in terms of how we think about how we act, you know, around um, churches and stuff. And so, I think I have one more verse on here. Yeah. Um, Just another thought of how we live our lives out in 1 Corinthians. It says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Again, just this idea that our body is a temple for the Lord and it sh- we should treat it and in, in how we act and in, in not sinning as such a holy thing for it is. Um, so we should live as God is holy. This means our bodies are set apart for a purpose, valuable, worth taking care of, special, blessings to others, clean, pure, redeemed by Jesus, not our own, bought with a price for glorifying God. This, this idea of us being God's temple really changes how we, how we live and how we act in, with our bodies. And so... How do we do that? Because <laughs> it's a high calling, you know? That's hard to say, be holy as God is holy. It's, and, you know, if we think about it for a little while, we realize, okay, we can't do that on our own. There's a reason we're not holy, and it's because of our sinful nature and our fleshly desires. Um, and so the way that we can do this is because we're God's temple, and we have his spirit living within us, you know? We can't do this on our own. We can't act as a temple on our own. We can't be holy. But because we're a temple and we have God's spirit, we can walk by the power of the Spirit, and through His power, we can live this out. Galatians 5 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The Spirit produces the real change in us as we listen to God what... um, instead of what we want to do. You know, we have the conviction from the Holy Spirit where God loves us too much to keep us where we're at and lets us know that what we're um, doing is wrong and ultimately, you know, hurting our intimacy with him. Our flesh is still there. And so while we're here on this earth, we're going to have to fight. We're going to have to fight our sinful desires. But almost more importantly, we're going to have to fight our alliance to do this on our own. It's only through the power of the Spirit that we can do this. And so we need to fight to rely on that Spirit that lives in us and live as a temple, being holy and relying on the Spirit that we have. Um, So we should live out this identity as our spirit. We see that the spirit is who empowers us. Unlike the last slide, you know, to love selflessly, to consider it joy when we face hard times, which are promised, to live in real peace, to choose patience and kindness, be disciplined, minister to others. The list goes on. Um, But it's, the point is that it's the power of the spirit that does this in us. So practically, we should listen to the spirit. When he convicts us of sin, um, when he prompts us to reach out or to help someone in need, Um, when he nudges us to share the gospel or share our testimony of how he changed us in our lives instead of, you know, reacting in fear or uncertainty, living in the confidence of knowing we have the God of the universe dwelling within us and it's by his power. Or when our thoughts run wild, when we have negative thoughts and, and, and hurtful thoughts and, you know, that we all struggle with, realizing that our thoughts, the thoughts of the world is not what defines us, but it's the truth that the spirit brings and the truth of the spirit, um, that we should live by. Um, so it's a really cool truth that we are the temple of God and it would change everything about our lives when we live this truth out. Um, so each day, you know, just kind of wrapping up as we, as we wake up with the knowledge that God dwells within us and we are his holy temple. Um, we want to know that that's our way to abundant life, that we can draw near to God with confidence and full assurance. Um, remembering that he is our perfect and constant companion. We're to live holy lives set apart, um, for a purpose and we're to do this by walking in step with the Spirit. Um, so there's a ton of application for this. It's such a cool truth that really changes not only our identity, but how we live and live that identity. 